Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To episode five of the Brutally Honest Sports Podcast. My name is Dan Kurtz, and I am joined by my co-host, the man, the myth, and always the legend, Aaron Riley. Uh, this show is coming to you on a Wednesday. Uh, sorry it couldn't come to you on a Tuesday. We were too busy um, analyzing Derek Carr. The man was a bona fide scrub. Carr's uh, bloopers from last season, getting ready for hot takes um, coming up in the 2020 NFL season. But this show comes to you on a Wednesday morning. We'll be recording on Thursday night to drop Friday morning as well. So still two shows this week, but apologize we couldn't get to the listeners as early as we would have liked. The anticipation has become even more real. That's that's all I can say. Derek Carr, uh, yeah, obviously there's just endless amount of film on you from last season just being a, an absolute disgrace. So we had to dive into that, and it was enjoyable uh, enjoyable television. It's honestly, it's honestly fun to go back and watch Derek Carr highlights and actually think that there are blind Raiders fans, blind NFL fans, blind NFL analysts out there that think he can legitimately be a, a good NFL quarterback. Not even great, just he can be a good NFL quarterback um, in, in year seven or eight, I think, it, it's coming up. So uh, the, the tape speaks for itself. Uh, I think this year's tape is going to speak for itself, to say the least, and he might find his way out of Las Vegas next year, whether it be in favor of, of Mariota, but um, Derek Carr, for whatever reason, um, seems to be a recurring topic on this show. So we feel like we have to be well-versed in his career, in his film, um, and ultimately his outcomes during the season. So we'll keep you updated on that. But uh, apologies, we couldn't record and, and drop an episode for you guys yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, uh, it's worth the wait to, to check out this, this week's episode, this episode in, in particular. Uh, a lot of a lot of interesting things happened over the weekend. Um, not not a ton. I shouldn't I shouldn't say a ton, but you know at least we had some type of live action, and uh, it included Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, and Tiger Woods all in the same place. So it's a pretty rare opportunity uh, that 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 took place. And now for today's topics. That's a flawless segue uh, into the match. So we'll get into today's topic. We had the match champions for charity. Uh, the match part two, if you will. Uh, if you remember back in November of 2018, um, Tiger and Phil Mickelson had a match. Uh, I think it was for $9 million total. They each put up 4.5, um, played each other at a course in Las Vegas. Uh, Phil took home the prize on a playoff hole um, and, and took home $4.5 million, $9 million total that day. So this is part two of the match. Um, they, they took stock of part one. 
Um, saw how it was received by the fans, repackaged it a little bit, changed it up, added stars, mega stars, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, both amateur golfers, both pretty decent golfers, I would say, uh, but added amateur golfers that um, I think added a, added a pretty cool wrinkle um, into the event, into the weekend overall. But uh, Aaron, how did you think that um, adding Tom Brady and Peyton Manning to um, a match with two professional golfers played out uh, in front of the country? Yeah, no, I, I think it worked pretty well. Uh, it was definitely interesting. It was, you could see uh, Tom Brady was starting to lose his cool at, at some points during at least the, the front nine. Uh, you know, he kind of, became, kind of came unraveled, excuse me, kind of came unraveled there. But, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely interesting. Um, you know, I was pulling for Peyton Manning, and, you know, I like seeing Tom Brady take the L. So that's kind of the result that I was hoping for, and that's exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, I got to give a shout out to, to TB12, that, that chip. I, I can't picture which hole it was at this point anymore, but that, that chip was nasty and uh, good for him on that one. That was, that was sharp. I think it was uh, hole seven. Um, so it was a par five, seventh hole. He holed a hundred yard wedge shot, but uh, it was only for birdie because he had to take a penalty stroke um, after his erratic tee shot. But front nine, absolutely atrocious for TB12 for Tom Brady. He even ripped his pants at one point. Uh, I think he ripped his pants after um, grabbing the ball um, on that seventh hole um, the chip in. So Pretty interesting nine holes for, for Brady. At one point, Barkley, um, Sir Charles, was giving him grief and offered up, offered up a $50,000 donation um, if Brady could hit a par three green. Um, Brady then missed pretty badly. And um, Chuck famously said, I should have uh, said if you could hit the planet, I would give you $50,000. So I, th I think it was overall a pretty relatable scene. Like I think it's always relatable when um, you see a professional athlete um, whether it be, you know, in golf or a different, you know, professional sport. Uh, I think it's always pretty relatable and interesting to see someone struggle. Um, and, you know, we've seen this guy win six Super Bowls, uh, and Peyton Manning's won two, and they both won a million MVPs between the two of them. So, um, if anything else, I think my biggest takeaway that it was just refreshing, I guess, to sort of see somebody struggle on national television. I think that's why um, this ultimately was so popular and why social media blew up. It, it's just, you're not used to seeing that guys like that in this element and, and you're not used to seeing guys struggle, as I said. So ultimately it was a uh, breath of fresh air. And I, I don't think Brady and, and Manning were bad golfers to say the least that, you know, it was pouring pretty much all day and then started raining again, sort of throughout the match. So uh, I think weather played, played a big factor in it. Seminole. Um, that golf course, uh, medalist golf club, sorry, not Seminole. Seminole was where the Taylor made match, uh, between Rory, uh, Justin, Ricky, um, and Matt Wolf was played. So medalist Tigers home course, uh, beautiful golf course. Uh, I think it would have you know probably been showcased in a positive light if it had been a nicer day, but, um, I think, I think that was, was pretty interesting to say at least. I thought the technology standpoint was pretty cool. Um, you know, obviously them having the mic packs was probably pretty hard for them to play golf, but the different camera angles, um, you know, seeing a shot tracer for an amateur golfer was pretty cool. But um, other than, you know, the athletes sort of being relatable um, on TV, what was sort of uh, your biggest takeaway from, from the match, Aaron? Yeah, no, I, I pretty much all the points you touched, you touched on there. Um, definitely, I, you know, just being Tom Brady, I thought he'd be a little bit better, honestly. No easy task. Believe me, I'd go out there and absolutely shit the bed myself. I mean, the, the ball would, would end up everywhere but the green. But, uh, yeah, it was it was definitely interesting seeing him struggle. I mean, 
I think at the end of the day, it might have been a little bit hard for him to, to swallow up his pride, but he kind of tweeted out, I saw following the match, he, he tweeted out, you know, all right, back to my, my day job, kind of football is, is my expertise, this isn't, this isn't really my uh, my next career path, but uh, yeah, that was the biggest takeaway, you know, but I, I like seeing, uh, I like seeing uh, Tiger Woods play no matter what, what the event is. Um, sometimes he honestly looks like a shell of himself, kind of RG3-esque, Ooh. you know, I, when uh, when you're talking about the, the modern day Tiger Woods, but uh, he he can bring it. Uh, he certainly still has it in the tank. It's just it's inconsistent. That's all. But I, I like seeing Tiger out there for sure. First of all, got to get the ricochet shot from RG3 out of the way there. But uh, Tiger Woods looked fantastic. Uh, didn't miss a fairway all day. Uh, swing looked pretty smooth and really, he hit some pretty decent pitch shots, which is not usually his expertise. And a decently long um, bunker shot in one of the holes. But I think. Like, in all in all, like he definitely isn't a guy who plays well in bad weather or plays well when it's, like, a little bit colder. I mean, when he goes out and plays um, California courses when it's, like, 40 degrees in, like, February, he doesn't play well because his back seizes up. He's not used to – I mean, he's used to the weather, of course, but, like, he's not a young buck like he used to be. I think he looked fantastic. Like I said, didn't miss a fairway. Played way better than Phil, um, obviously. I think it's to be expected a little bit. It's his home course. Phil doesn't play there. Um, obviously as often as Tiger does, but I thought Tiger looked absolutely fantastic. And hot take, if the Masters was played in April, uh, Tiger would be taking home the green jacket again. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. I, I think he's got a couple couple more majors under his belt. What do you think, uh, five or under or, or five or more? What do you think at this point uh, in his career? Under under five. Um, under five, I think that's a good – you know, it's a good over-under number to, to set it at. Um, you know, he is 15 right now. Do I think he gets 19 and surpasses Jack? Probably not. Um, I think he probably gets another green jacket or two, and then maybe if um, the U.S. Open is at um, one of the courses that he likes, maybe he gets one there. Maybe the PGA Championship he gets one. I don't think he wins a British Open. Um, you know, he was close in 2018, but I, I just think that, you know, those courses, the way they're played now and the way the holes are set up, I just don't think it favors his game, I think. Of course, like the Masters where he's so comfortable at and favors the, the long irons and, you know, favors the accuracy off the tee. I think when, when his driver's on and when he's on off the tee, I think he's a chance to win anywhere, but specifically Augusta. So, I, you know, I think he gets probably two or three more. Uh, maybe he ties Jack and gets to 18. I'd like to see him at least tie Jack. I think that would be um, pretty cool and, and a great end to his career. But it was 43. Um, probably gonna be, I think he's going to be 44 at the end of the year. So getting up there in age. But uh, I think Jack won his last major at 46. So there's definitely a couple of years where he's a window where he could really convert on a couple and, and hopefully catch Jack. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think he gets. I think he's right in that window as well. I think two to three is kind of his his ceiling. But you know, who who knows? He might not ever win another one, or he he could go on a string and win three or four. I I could see him heating up and catching fire here. So I definitely would love love to see him at least tie him. Uh, you know, early in his career, it was almost like you know he's going to surpass him by a long shot. Now you know, obviously, uh, quite the dramatic career he's had as far as on and off the field. But uh. You know, my hat's off to him. I think the sport's a hell of a lot more interesting when he's in the when he's in the mix, and especially on on Sunday if he's wearing a red shirt. You know that that shit's about to go down. So um, yeah, I, I definitely hope that uh, he can find his way and, and find his stroke consistently for for courses to come. 
Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, agree. And, and another cool wrinkle of the event was Justin Thomas. Um, Justin Thomas is the fourth ranked player in the world. Obviously has a lot of golf out of him. I think he's pretty young, probably 25, 26, 27, but um, he, he, he's a friend of Tiger's and, and lives down there in Florida near Tiger. Medalist is also his home course, but he was actually uh, an analyst on course. So he was walking with uh, the players and, and giving his feedback to, to Barkley and um, Immelman and, and the guys on the broadcast. I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, I think it was pretty cool to have someone who currently plays the game, plays with Tiger, plays with Phil, and knows that golf course pretty well. Um, and he also gave it to Chuck a little bit too. I think he told Chuck at one point his fat ass couldn't dunk a basketball anymore. Um, paraphrasing, but something along those lines. I thought Justin Thomas was um, a pretty good addition to, to the broadcast and um, definitely um, getting a different look since he currently plays the game and um, you know, is it, you know, plays at that course um, pretty often. So uh, I think, you know, obviously you, you can't really do that with a current player um, at an event um, on the PGA tour, but, you know, maybe if a player is hurt or um, decides to sit out an event and is looking to sort of get a head start on his golf TV career, um, maybe he goes in and sort of subs in as that on course analyst in, in that type of role. Right. Yeah. The only last thing to touch on with, with that whole event, I, I was almost surprised that uh, Charles Barkley, I mean, obviously they got to add fun to this event. In, in some respects, I thought Charles Barkley kind of overstepped his welcome to, to an extent. I mean, if you've ever seen Charles Barkley swing the golf club, it, it's, you know, it, you might, you might absolutely get disgusted, but uh, uh, it was interesting him, him running his mouth a little bit, but I definitely think it added to the, to the fun and to the event that, that it was over the weekend. I think, I think uh, Charles Barkley changed his swing though. I don't think he has that hitch anymore. I don't know what he did. I don't know who he's been working with. Uh, maybe he's been watching videos of Tiger, but uh, he has changed his swing. I don't know if that's breaking news, but um, I recently saw a video where he got the hitch out of there and it actually looks decently smooth. That's an, I, I'd have to see it. I'd have to see it live. I, I don't know. That might be you, – you never know what they can do with uh, editing and uh, you know, changing <laughs> of camera angles and such. So I'd have to see that one live and maybe actually in person to believe it, but – yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but, yeah, one one former NBA player to the next year will continue the series and, and get to the last dance. Um, we've talked about episodes one and two and episodes three and four last week. So um, we'll get to episodes five and six here. We'll get to the Dream Team a little bit. We'll talk about Nike. Um, we'll get into uh, Scotty Pippen's comments about the last dance and um, how he thinks he's being portrayed publicly as a player and as a person. Um, just talking all things MJ and all things last dance here for five and six. But um, I will start with you, Aaron, um, on these Scotty Pippen comments. Uh, last week, I think it was, um, Scotty Pippen came out and said that he does not like how he is portrayed, how he is showcased, um, how he is being featured in this documentary. Uh, there were a couple instances that I think that that might have been a little unfair to Scotty. Um, one of them was, I think it was a 91 season when he sat out uh, game six in the playoffs of the Eastern Conference Finals. He had a migraine, apparently. I don't think that um, he really got a chance to touch on that. I, you know, I think he said that he just couldn't see and stuff like that. But MJ didn't really defend him. He was just basically like, hey, like, Scotty couldn't go. But, what you know, really wasn't defending his toughness or defending him as a player. Um, and then there was another moment when – MJ was off playing baseball. I think it was in the 95 playoffs. Um, Phil didn't give Scotty the last shot for one of the games, and he just decided to um, sit the play out, um, sit on the bench, and basically abandon his teammates. Again, um, it might have been a little bit unfair, and I thought they could have given Scotty a little bit more time to defend himself. But nonetheless, uh, I think it's worth noting that MJ, I think, starts off this documentary, or uh, I think early on into episode one, basically is like, 
there would be no Michael Jordan without Scottie Pippen. So I don't know if these comments were, you know, sort of taken out of context, but I, I guess if I was Scottie Pippen, I would probably, you know, contend a couple of the scenes and a couple of the points um, within, you know, the entire documentary. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, I definitely have a ton of respect for Michael Jordan and everything he's accomplished, but um, to call him selfish, I think that's, that's accurate. I mean, I uh, I don't think it's really a bash or a negative on him. Uh, I just think that's kind of the way that it is and, and the way that it's portrayed is kind of correct. And in that respect, fr- from the respect of Scottie Pippen not getting enough credit or, you know, maybe he doesn't get to take the last shot and, and things like that. That that happens to certain players, especially as, as everybody refers to them as Batman and Robin. He uh, he was always Robin and, you know, you, you're always the second fiddle. Um, you know, at times I think the, the Miami Heat when uh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron were – we're down there and, and it was the circus and everything everything else like that. Um, you know, you kind of saw that to a point, but I think Dwayne Wade was, was already so far uh, into his career. It's a little bit different of a situation. Um, I definitely think Scotty sort of got slighted in some respects, but, you know, me personally, obviously I can't put myself in his shoes 100%, you know, being in the public eye and everything, you know, under the scrutiny that he was. But uh, I almost think that Scotty was, was a little bit of a, kind of a butthurt in the fact that, you know, it, just because uh, you don't get to take the last shot, I don't think you should take off a play. You know, as far as the migraine thing, I, I don't doubt that uh, he had a migraine that was that bad. Um, Scotty's a pretty tough guy. I don't I don't really associate him with making excuses as, as far as not playing uh, due to, you know, personal reasons. So, yeah, on those couple points, I, you know, there's some points where I, I definitely defend Scotty, and I think MJ is kind of heartless in the fact that, you know, MJ will play a game even – you know, MJ could have a broken foot and he's going to be he's going to be trying to play where, you know, most human beings, 99% are going to say, you know, at a certain point, I can't go. I can't play. I got to got to take the night off, even if it is a finals game or, a you know, a game seven of a, a Western Conference, what have you. Um, yeah. On those couple of points, uh, I think Scottie Pippen definitely, uh, you know, in some respects, got the short end of the sticks. But in, in other ways, you know, I, I just don't have a ton of respect for people to take off plays. Um, whether that be, you know, in the regular season, postseason, whatever it might be, you know, it's human nature to to want to, you know, be upset. But uh, I think that's more so a conversation you have behind closed doors. You don't really let that get to you on the court, um, especially in front of everybody watching. So Scotty Pippen, not a bad guy, but uh, I think in some respects he could have been more of a man in, in certain situations. Uh, Derek Carr definitely takes off plays now. Um, so if if LeBron was to do a – post-career documentary, a 10-part documentary that detailed his entire career on and off the court. Um, who do you think would, would get the Scottie Pippen treatment? Um, in, in other words, who do you think would be a little bit upset um, by their portrayal? Which current NBA player would be pissed about their portrayal in, in a LeBron James documentary? See, that's, that's definitely an interesting question. Um, I think, you know, if this – if it would have came out maybe the season after uh, Kyrie went to Boston and then they kind of went their separate ways that way, I think maybe uh, maybe LeBron cast Kyrie as kind of the bad guy, uh, just to an extent. Yeah. extent. Um, I think the falling out of that that whole ordeal was, was definitely hard for, for both of them. Uh, obviously, they didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, and I'm, I'm definitely no uh, not a LeBron, you know, gung-ho and LeBron by any means, but uh, I think Kyrie kind of handled that situation pretty badly and the fact that then he got to Boston and then, you know, not not to go down that rabbit hole, but 
just kind of didn't play as a team player. He thought he was, you know, unstoppable by himself. He didn't need anybody else. And obviously that only lasted, you know, for basically for one season. Um, so in that respect, I think maybe LeBron cast Kyrie as the bad guy. I, I don't know. They say they, they made amends and, and things are good there. But uh, maybe him, uh, obviously, J.R. Smith collapse they had out there in Golden State game one uh, just a few years back. Kind of a bonehead play. I don't know. J.R. Smith's always been that, that knucklehead. So maybe him, you know, maybe he's cast as that type of player. But um, I don't think really either of those guys have gained the respect, at least from my from my point of view, that Scottie Pippen has. And, and you know, from the historians of the NBA, I don't think even Kyrie can compare it to uh, Scottie Pippen in the fact that just consistency and, uh, you know, hard work and team effort and things like that. So maybe one of those guys, but that, that's really all I, I can really point to. Um, as far as a direct comparison. Yeah, Kyrie and JR are probably the top two. I would have went with it. I mean, I would have went with it as well. I mean, J JR threw a hot bowl of soup at one of his assistant coaches during that playoff run. Um, <laughs> Kyrie obviously, you know, subscribed to the Kobe Bryant mentality and, and created conflict whenever he could or whenever he saw fit. Um, to, to change it up a little bit, I'll probably go with Kevin Love and, and maybe a Chris Bosh. Not not to the same effect as, as Kyrie. I'll let you go in a second on, on this too, but not not in the same sort of breath as Kyrie. I just think like Kevin Love and, and Chris Bosh were unbelievable, like all NBA players before they played with LeBron. And I just think that, you know, sort of in that that shadow that, you know, Chris Bosh was third to LeBron and D Wade. Kevin Love was third to Kyrie um, and, and LeBron, obviously. So I just think that, you know, they were unbelievable players before they played with LeBron and um, and before they got to Cleveland and Miami, respectively. I just think that maybe because they didn't get the ball as much or they didn't get as many minutes, um, you know, as much as if they were the focal point of the team, um, the number one guy on, on offense, uh, if you will. But, yeah, from a reputation standpoint, I think those those guys are, are great locker room guys. Um, obviously, you know, JR and, and Kyrie might not be the best guys to have in the locker room, but I think from a – from a career standpoint and from a purely on-court, you know, perspective, I think Love and, and Bosch definitely um, took took some heat and um, their play, I think, ultimately suffered from it. But just to be a little bit unique um, off of your answers, yeah, I would probably go with those two guys. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with those. Um, Kevin Love, I think, was definitely LeBron's punching bag to a certain extent. Uh, whether that's fair or not, it's debatable, but I think Kevin Love is, is Mr. Softy. I think Kevin Love oh. was kind of was kind of like, hey, uh, you know, if LeBron needed needed food or if LeBron needed a drink or LeBron needed a massage, it was kind of like, all right, Kevin Love, it's your that's your obligation. You, you know, you were brought here to to kind of basically makes LeBron's uh, title runs a little bit easier for him. Um, but uh, Chris Bosh, yeah, to a certain extent, I'm with you. I think Chris Bosh showed up big when it actually mattered. There were a lot of times I think Chris Bosh made some stupid mistakes, and I don't think he's the most intelligent basketball player to ever live. But, you know, when it mattered, I think Chris Bosh was a much more of a key piece than, than Kevin Love. I think Kevin Love was kind of, you know, too inconsistent to call to call him a key piece. I, I see where you draw the, the comparison there. Yeah, moving into – and we'll get, we'll get to some other points of, of five and six as well. You're moving into the dream team piece. Obviously, the 1992 Olympics – uh, the dream team, as the basketball team is called, um, arguably one of the, the best teams uh, of all time in any sport, um, in any competition, 
in any um, sort of platform. Um, and Barcelona, that team was unstoppable. Obviously, they, they won the gold medal pretty handily. Um, Michael was the focal point of that team. Uh, Scotty was also on that team and, and cemented himself as one of the best players in, in the NBA. I thought it was pretty interesting to, to get the behind the scenes of that team as a whole. Uh, Magic Johnson was on that team, Larry Bird. Um, Ewing was on that team, Carl Malone, John Stockton. Um, all, all those guys basically from the 80s and 90s who were dominating the sport at that point. Um, a, lot of, a lot of basketball purists and, and basketball historians will say that a collection of talent like that will never be assembled um, on a basketball court again. Um, and, and a lot of people say that those practices and, and footage from those practices are some of the best basketball they've ever witnessed. So um, I feel like, you know, there could be an entire documentary and there have been documentaries on the 1992 Dream Team. There probably could be a 10-part documentary done on, on the Dream Team, but um, an interesting sort of storyline that came out of this. Um, Isaiah Thomas was, you know, one of the best point guards of that era, if not all time. I think he's a top five point guard, in my opinion, of all time. Um, played for the bad boy Detroit Pistons. Um, they had eliminated Michael and the Bulls a few playoffs in a row. Um, and then you know, MJ and, and Scotty and, and the Bulls obviously got their number um, finally and eliminated them. I think it was in 92, um, that first year that, you know, MJ won the final. So um, it was interestingly enough, you know, that Michael allegedly said that if Isaiah Thomas had made the team, um, Michael was not going to play the dream team. Obviously, you can't leave the best player in the NBA off the team. You have to take um, a guy like Michael Jordan at that point. But um, I want to get your thoughts on that. And um, MJ claims he didn't do it. Um, MJ claims that wasn't the case. Um, he claims that Isaiah Thomas simply wasn't selected. Uh, it came out, um, I think, yesterday or today, so hot off the presses, that back in 2011, um, MJ was doing an interview and basically said that it was true that um, he was not going to play on that team if Isaiah Thomas was. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And, and again, I, I don't think that would happen today. Um, if, if it did, I think that would, you know, cause crazy headlines and, and the player who um, said they weren't going to play because of an, another player joining the team probably would have got, um, got destroyed online. But uh, I thought that was interesting to say the least. And, and what are your thoughts on MJ potentially not playing um, if Isaiah Thomas had been on the team? Yeah, so uh, definitely I, I would be in the in the mindset of that's a weak move by uh, Michael Jordan if that if that truly is the case. Um, there is a lot of smoke around that, and usually where there's smoke, there's fire. So in that respect, um, I, I think that's extremely weak by Michael Jordan. I mean, just because the guy is kind of giving it to you in the playoffs, you know, he he's kind of known as the ringleader of the Bad Boy Pistons. Uh, he's kind of like, you know, when when he goes, they all go. So. If that is, in fact, true, I think that's that's definitely weak on MJ's part. You know, you're trying to win a gold medal. You know, you're trying to bring in all the all the best players from from the NBA. Actually, the, the first NBA-associated, uh, as far as Olympics goes, uh, the USA, that, that was the first time the, the NBA players were integrated into the, the I'm sorry, the, uh, the Olympic setup. So, yeah, I don't know. if it, Like I said, if, in fact, that is true, uh, I think that's extremely weak. On Michael Jordan's part, but I'm glad he got over the hump and did beat them. But you know that does kind of make me, you know, a little think a little bit less of MJ's character. Um, Isaiah Thomas, one of the best point guards to ever live, and then you, you're kind of just being a little puss when when you say, "Oh, I don't want to play with that guy." So you know, whatever. But uh, hopefully that's not true. I, I almost want to think, almost want to hope and pray that's not true. But uh, part of me really does believe wholeheartedly that that's that's the god honest truth so I think 100% it, you know it, it, yeah he told whoever the GM whoever the coach was whoever was picking the team 
um, that he did not want Isaiah Thomas on that team. I think that's absolutely hilarious. But I think if you're going to do that um, and you're going to make a documentary about yourself and you're going to control um, the content that's within the documentary, you kind of have to be honest. And if you're going to tell us in an interview 10 years ago that you did, in fact, leave Isaiah Thomas off this team, um, I would probably be a little bit consistent. Uh, they interviewed Isaiah for this, interestingly enough. It was kind of weird that um, he had even agreed to this interview. I think he was um, the only one other than, than Dennis Rodden from the Bad Boy Pistons that agreed to interview for this documentary. Kind of gave a non-answer, but, you know, sort of alluded to the fact that he thinks that MJ had a part in him not making the team. Like, I mean, he even admitted that he was uh, – he thought he was one of the best point guards in the league, if not the best at that time. So – uh, I thought it was interesting to say the least, but um, we can sort of put that topic to rest. And I wanted to get to to the Nike effect um, and the, the effect that Nike had on, on MJ and then also um, on the effect that Nike has had in basically the um, the way that athletes are marketed as individuals. Um, obviously, you, we, you know, we got the whole Nike backstory here and, and how Nike was honestly MJ's third choice um, and he almost didn't even take a meeting with the company and would not have taken a meeting with the company if it wasn't for his mom. So I'm getting into a little bit of the backstory here. Converse um, was the official shoe of the NBA. Um, They had guys on the roster like um, Larry Bird, uh, Magic Johnson, and basically all the guys who dominated in the 80s, um, they were all on the Converse roster. So they did not have another spot for MJ. They did not want to make a signature shoe. Um, so basically they got crossed off the list pretty early on in the process. Um, MJ then turned his focus to Adidas. Um, you know, he had worn them in college and in the NBA a little bit. They were his, his first choice actually. Um, but he had to go to Converse first, obviously, since they were a sponsor of, um, the NBA, but Adidas basically said the same thing. Um, they didn't have the capacity. They didn't have the technology. They didn't have the bandwidth to basically create as true for him and market him as an individual athlete. So, um, you know, under his, his mom's urging, um, he took a meeting with Nike sort of at the last second. Um, they obviously were willing and able um, and obviously very eager to make a shoe for him. And, and basically, um, they transcended MJ into MJ, into Sir Jordan, into his airness and into everything that um, we know about him today. Um, and obviously have, have done wonders for guys like Kobe. Um, and LeBron and Kevin Durant and you know obviously honestly tennis players as well I think you know um, athletes in all sports obviously like a a guy like Tiger Woods have um, benefited tremendously from how MJ was uh, marketed and and treated by the executives at Nike so want to get your thoughts on that um, and you know sort of you know what would would sports look today if we didn't sort of have you know a a company like that um, you know behind some of you know the greatest athletes in the world today yeah no uh Michael Jordan kind of was the innovator as far as uh, getting a, a contract, uh, you know, a player exclusive contract. You know, he kind of the the whole appeal behind um, Nike kind of was tremendously increased when when obviously Jordan was was signed underneath their umbrella. As far as styling in the 90s, I mean, you know, almost everybody wore Converse's. I think, you know, don't don't quote me on this, but I I think maybe Reebok was involved, you know, way 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 back, but. Obviously, nothing, nothing too major, and and nothing really of great style or real exclusive, you know, things going on in the NBA. So, uh, MJ really broke the ground on, on that one. Uh, I think it's extremely interesting of a story that, you know, him and uh, himself, Nike, and and all of that might not have ever happened if, if his mom didn't get involved. So, obviously, I, I think uh, he owes a, a big one to his mom. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, it, it changed the entire landscape, and I, I think it only brought 
uh, good things to both Nike, the NBA, and and kind of player recognition because now if you look around, you know, you whoever superstar you kind of idolize, whether it be Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, uh, the list goes on and on and on. LeBron, obviously, Kobe, the late the late great Kobe, uh, Shaq. You you just keep going down the list, and and they all had a signature shoe or or currently have a signature shoe, so. Um, you can kind of thank Michael Jordan for that, but but honestly, you can thank his mom more than more than anybody else because she's the one that that really made it uh, come to the forefront of, of his mind, and and obviously from there it, it broke the ground running uh, as far as a, a player contract is concerned. I can't I can't imagine being an executive from Converse or an executive from Adidas back in the day, and and looking back on it now, basically telling Michael Jordan to go screw himself and and. Um, go somewhere else. I, I can't imagine those guys cut their jobs um, for too much longer, um, you know, during NBA's career there. But um, that's, that was my main, my main takeaway is I, I get that, you know, athletes weren't marketed that way. You only really saw tennis players or um, swimmers even mar- marketed as individuals. Obviously, um, you know, guys in, in team sports were, were thought of as an extension of the team, um, not, not as a basketball player or, um, not as a hockey player, not as a baseball player per se. They were thought of as you know, MJ was part of the Bulls organization with Scotty and and the rest of his team, and, and not just as an individual. I think you know his agent and his his team definitely had something to to do with that as well. And ultimately, it was a collaboration with Nike. But I just I just think about those executives at, at Converse and Adidas, as I said, and, and how those guys must have been kicking themselves. I mean, not even one or, or two years um, in, into that deal. And I think. Um, you know, the, the guy, I think MJ's agent, or maybe it was a, a Nike executive, they basically set metrics that they wanted to hit in sales for, for MJ's shoes. And, and I think they surpassed their five-year goal within, within the first year, the first few months or something ridiculous like that. So obviously um, the relationship started to, to pay off right away and is clearly and evidently still paying off to this day. Yeah, no, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah, I, I think definitely some people probably lost their jobs over that. Um, you know, can't speak to, to those organizations, whether it be uh, Adidas or Converse, but actually it's funny. Converse was bought out by Nike. I don't know exactly when that happened, but uh, yeah, Converse is now under Nike's umbrella as well. So, you know, Nike's kind of that, that giant. And I, I think honestly, Nike, you know, maybe if Adidas would have acquired him, then Nike wouldn't be the giant that they are today. Obviously, the the entire Jordan brand rests on the name of, of Michael Jordan, and he's kind of uh, at least to an extent he he's in charge of that. I don't know as far as you know how deep he has his hand in in that hole, but um, you know obviously the, you know they can thank Michael Jordan for a huge amount of revenue, and and that was one of the best decisions they've they've ever made, and it continues to pay dividends as as Jordan shoes continue to sell and sell and sell and sell and I don't see them ever slowing down um you know obviously even the younger generations where they'll see a Jordan they might not know who Michael Jordan himself is too too well uh in comparison to like a LeBron James or you know a James Harden but uh the Jordan name lives on and I think it will live on really forever uh at least in the the basketball shoe and, and basketball apparel industry hey say say what you want about this episode and say what you want about um, this podcast as a whole, our research department is absolutely on fire tonight. I had no idea that Converse was bought out by Nike, but credit to our research department, um, honestly, one of the unsung heroes of this podcast, but uh, you, you, you guys are on fire tonight and hopefully you keep it going for the latter half of this episode, but I think it's enough last dance talk. I think we dissected episodes five and six pretty well. Um, tune in Friday for episodes seven and eight, and then ultimately next week for 
episodes nine and 10 and, and our general thoughts on the entire documentary as a whole. But uh, moving on to some current um, sports news, the NHL and the commissioner of the NHL, Gary Bettman, had an official announcement today at 4.30 p.m. Um, hot, hot off the presses at 4.30 p.m. today this afternoon, uh, officially announcing that the 24-team um, playoff format will be taken into effect. Um, there was speculation the last couple weeks, and, I think, and we definitely talked about it last week as well. Um, but, but for Bettman, um, sort of as the first commissioner to come out um, from, from the four major sports and outline a plan uh, of how, you know, the NHL is going to look when they come back and then ultimately when um, they will come back, I think is huge. Um, I think, you know, Adam Silver in the NBA and, and probably Rob Manford from the LMB are, are going to take stock of the NHL's plan and um, sort of see how it's going to work for, for their leagues, maybe draw some similarities, maybe draw some differences as well. But um, the NHL is looking at doing training camp probably starting July 1st and teams will be able to get back into, into their facilities probably uh, mid to late June. So, I think it's great that you know, this is an official announcement. Um, not too much has, has changed with this announcement since we had dissected the format last week. Um, ultimately, 12 teams from the East, 12 teams from the West will make it. Um, the top four seeds from each conference will have a round robin um, to determine seeding. Um, and then the other 20 teams will basically battle out um, attempting to get into the first round. So, um, like, like I said, I, I think it's exciting that we're finally getting some sports news, and it means that um, you know, live sports, live team sports coming back to our televisions um, is not too far off in the horizon there. But um, basically, wanted to get your thoughts on the official announcement, Aaron, and then uh, we can sort of chat about some MLB plans and some NBA plans as well. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, definitely exciting. Um, I think it's, I think it's going to be good that uh, the sport gets back in as far as uh, from the perspective of it's going to be playoffs nearly right away is is what I'm hearing. Is that, is that something you can confirm there? As soon as they come back, it's playoff time. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. So. Yeah, yep. Sorry. Yeah, sorry I didn't mention that. It's going to be playoffs. So um, the regular season is done. Uh, put a fork in her. She's done. So um, however the standings shake out, they're, they're basically going to decide the 24 teams off of um, points percentage at the time of the stoppage due to the pandemic. So like I said, the regular season's over with. Um, They're immediately jumping into the playoffs. Um, I think, you know, with the expanded format, um, you know, the seven teams who got left out definitely were not going to make the playoffs. Um, I don't care who you are or who you talk to. They, they just weren't going to make the playoffs. So um, I think, you know, the right thing to do was sort of expand the field. Um, and it also gives, you know, some teams who were on the cusp, obviously, a chance to you know, go for the cup, go for the Corona Stanley Cup. So, um, yeah, definitely jumping into the playoffs here after we get training camps going. But um, I think, you know, I don't really know what the NBA is thinking. I don't know if they're trying to do some, you know, finish out their regular season. Obviously, they have a few more games to finish up than the NHL did. So I think just from, you know, the, the little amount of games they had left in, in the regular season just made more sense for them to go uh, straight to the playoffs in this type of format. Yeah, yeah. And I'll touch on that briefly. But uh, yeah, I think that only is going to make things more exciting, more dramatic, more intense. Uh, you know, you throw more teams in, in the mix to to possibly come up with a championship. It'll uh, to the drama and uh, definitely will. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I wouldn't mind seeing a team that uh, in other in other years or in other situations would have never been in the playoffs you know, make a run, maybe go the whole way, somehow upset everybody in the field and, and get to the championship. I think that would be absolutely amazing for that fan base and, and for the sport and, and just sports in general. I think 
you know, if they if they resume play and somebody runs the table, wins all the games, and and goes the whole way to the Stanley Cup, wins the best out of seven, you know, decisively, I don't think that'll be extremely exciting. But regardless, um, you know, it'll it'll be nice to see sports coming back. And I think a lot of people that, that normally don't, don't turn into hockey, don't tune into hockey, excuse me, uh, on a normal normal basis, will uh will definitely be be tuning in. And I think that'll only be good for for all the professional sports as a whole because. You know, it's it's without saying we've been without them for now two to three months. Do you think the the NBA and MLB look to follow suit here soon? Um, we had a couple comments from from Charles Barkley. Interesting not to bring up Charles twice in the podcast, but we're going to bring up Charles twice in the podcast here. Um, basically, you said, "quote um, The NBA is going to make a decision in the next week." I'm 100% positive uh, we're going to play. I know my friends in Major League Baseball are going to play. I think that the Hockey League is going to play. Um, the Hockey League means the NHL, and obviously they're going to play. Um, I think the pro football and college football seasons, they have to sit back, um, wait, and see how it goes. Um, he was basically talking to his bosses at Turner Sports. He obviously is on inside the NBA on TNT. So um, Sir Charles has a pretty strong inclination that the NBA and MLB are going to play this season. What do you think they're waiting for, and, and are you aware of some of the obstacles that these two leagues have to have to go through ultimately before they can make a a definitive decision either way. Right. Yeah. I, I think uh, as a, as a side note, I think that was kind of, I don't know, as far as to refer to it as the hockey league, that's a little bit like, I mean, you know, how hard is it to come up with the three letters NHL, but regardless, that's as long as hockey fans don't take offense to that, you know, I guess that flies, but yeah. I think obviously the obstacles, you know, I'll, I'll first touch on, we'll, we'll touch on the NBA since they already played some games, you know, maybe they come back, they play, you know, I don't see them just playing out the entire regular season. Maybe they, they play, you know, maybe 10 games, something like that. I mean, I know they're right around that as far as uh, certain positions aren't, aren't really going to change, like Damian Lillard uh, made, made an income, made a reference to. So, um, obviously, those type of things. But I think the NBA is going to start to start to come back to fruition. And obviously, that, that that's only going to be a matter of a week or two, in my opinion. I think they'll announce some type of plan or some type of format to come out, uh, you know, in the near future. I think if they were to plan this out, you know, maybe it's the end of June, maybe it's the beginning of July. So they, they still have a couple more weeks. But uh, as far as the MLB, I, obviously, I think they're going to have to play some type of spring training or, you know, some obviously extremely modified version of that, you know, and that's going to start here with, I would imagine the same time. I'm, I'm just, my heart tells me the end of June is when this, these things are going to start happening. Uh, I just think we're like two to three weeks away from, from really anything happening, but uh, maybe an announcement comes out later this week or early next week. Yeah, I think MLB obviously will have a, a much shortened season. I think the playoff format will be structured in the, in the fact that it will be expanded similar to the other sports, um, but that, that's where I, I stand on it. I think we're still a few weeks away, but I think it's definitely uh, they're coming up with some type of plan. It's going to be kind of disappointing to not see fans because that's what I anticipate on on all the sports but um, some sports is better than no sports and it's it's definitely increasingly uh, increasingly frustrating to not hear anything from these leagues at least from a from an official standpoint other than the NHL so we'll see but uh, I think I think we're a few weeks away from from live sports but not not too far along. Not yeah, you, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head. It, it is a little bit frustrating to hear proposed plans A through Z get leaked and then not have an official announcement from that particular league. That's why I think this NHL news is huge. Obviously, we dissected it on last week's show. 
Um, but I just think that the fact that Bettman came out, uh, and the commissioner in the league came out and, and sort of laid out a definitive plan is a step in the right direction. And, and you know, for all the talk that, you know, the, the NBA and the MLB want to be the first um, sports platform back, I just think the inactivity on their part just speaks to, you know, sort of the, the other hurdles that we have to jump through um, to be able to get those two leagues back in, in particular. I think MLB, like you said, definitely has a little bit of a tougher road since they have to play their entire season and not just the last 10 to 15 games of the regular season like the NHL and the NBA have. Um, and there was also talks about money disputes between the league and the MLBPA. So um, not really sure what's going to shake out there. And I'd have to think that the NBA comes out with a plan probably in early June um, before the MLB does. But ultimately, I think once we get into late June, early July, we'll look to get some sports back. And um, honestly, watching hockey, watching um, NBA watching baseball um, sort of late late summer, July, August, I think is going to be uh, a great time in the sports calendar and a great time to be a sports fan and a great time to have a sports podcast. So enough said on that. Yep, I agree with that. Getting into the NFL here, obviously we did the soundbite last week with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and how um, Doug Peterson and Marty Morningway wanted to use him similar to how the Ravens use and we'll continue to use Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Um, continuing down the same line, continuing down the same series, we have another quote from another soundbite from Undisputed um, about Kyler Murray and potentially um, being an MVP candidate this season. So we'll take a listen here, and then Aaron and I will dissect. So, Shannon, can you see Kyler winning MVP? Not even with the Hubble telescope. And that's the most powerful telescope in the world. No, Jen, I can't see that happening. All right, Aaron, uh, hearing that clip from the folks at Undisputed, uh, where do you fall uh, along the lines of this Kyler Murray MVP debate? And do you align more with Shannon or do you align more with Skip? Yeah, so I'm definitely on the Shannon line of thinking on, on this one. Um, most of the time, actually, I, I fall on the line of, of Skip. But uh, on, on this one, I, I got to say Shannon's a lot more accurate. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, I'm kind of looking over his stats from last season. Rookie campaign, I mean, he's he's only 22 years of age. He's younger than both of us, which you know, makes me feel a little scary. bit Stay crappy about. Yeah, oh, yeah, scary. And, you know, wish I was doing big things like Kyler Murray. But uh, in, in the same respect, you know, he, he had 3,722 yards. Um, 15th in the in the NFL so kind of middle of the pack and then you know 20 touchdowns tied for 21st so that, that's on the back half of the of the NFL uh 12 touchdowns tied for 20th not not very good either uh and then QBR right there at 15th again so uh kind of middle of the road all, overall if you look at it I mean playing on a, an absolute dumpster fire of a Arizona Cardinals team uh as they have been for for quite a few years now at this point so uh, you got to take that into account you know one guy can't overcome you know a whole team of scrubs but except for Larry Fitzgerald no, no disrespect to him but uh as far as uh winning MVP that, that's a little bit far-fetched I mean maybe I give it a 25 percent chance at, at at best um you know it's kind of interesting now now the last couple of years you know you saw Lamar Jackson win the MVP last season uh only in his second season really his first full season so that's kind of interesting and then then you go back and and you see Patrick Mahomes two years ago in his second season second full season so um yeah I think that's kind of why they're pointing at the fact that Kyler Murray might follow suit in that trend he's going into a second season as, as a as the quarterback but uh I don't know uh to win MVP on that team that's going to be a little bit difficult I think 
Uh, not the biggest fan of uh, uh, Clisberry, uh, Kingsbury. I'm sorry, Kingsbury. But uh, yeah, no, I uh, I don't really see that happening. Uh, I could see maybe Mahomes winning it again before I see uh, Kyler Murray winning his first. But uh, that's my take. What about you, Dan? How do you feel about the the, the whole discussion on the MVP? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I, I agree. I, I think this is this is more along the lines of Skip and Shannon really have nothing else to talk about, so they're trying to pick. Um, different different MVP headlines that they think are going to get a lot of views, but I can't say I blame them. I, I, you know, I, I also can't say I've seen a ton of film on on Kyler Murray. I, I, you know, I got to be honest, I didn't watch a lot of the five eleven and one or five ten and one Arizona Cardinals last year. But um, just just sort of speaking into the last few years and, and sort of how quarterbacks have, have taken that second year leap. Um, Wentz took the leap. Goff took the leap. Mahomes did, as you said. Lamar Jackson definitely did, as you said. So. Uh, I, I think, you know, he definitely has the keys. He has the keys to the castle. So um, sec- second year in Kingsbury's offense, I think um, Cliff does a good job of showcasing his strengths and, and minimizing his weaknesses. Um, he's not the biggest guy, but he's pretty fast. He's pretty shifty and he's pretty accurate on the run. So I think a lot of their offense should be tailored around that. I think DeAndre Hopkins getting him is huge and, and getting rid of that David Johnson contract was also pretty big for them. Um, Hopkins and Fitzgerald and, and those guys definitely form a formidable um, wideout room. So um, hopefully Hopkins can help him out a little bit more and, and give him a, a decent red zone target. Um, but, you know, I, do I think he, he has a legitimate shot to an MVP? Probably not. Um, I think Vegas has him as the ninth best odds to win. I think that's a little high. Um, like you said, his stats were basically um, middle of the road last year, but it, it is worth mentioning, as you said, he's going to be the youngest starting quarterback again. Um, he's younger than Joe Burrow. He's two months younger than Sam Darnold. He's younger than Danny Dimes. He's younger than Tua. So uh, I think you give him another year or two in this offense, but maybe when he's 24, 25, and not 22, he, he probably has a better chance to win. And um, maybe by then he gets a better offensive line and um, get some other pieces around him. Um, you know, I, I would love for him to, to do well in, in what is potentially Larry Fitzgerald's last season. I think Larry Fitz is an absolute legend and um, deserves a good season. Um, as he as he rides off into the sunset but I'd have to think it's going to be Mahomes or Jackson um, or you know maybe Rodgers as, as a decent year maybe Roethlisberger as a bounce back year I just don't see it being uh, a guy like Kyler Murray and like I said maybe once the GM builds back up this roster in, in the next year or two I just don't see you know the Cardinals coming off of a five and ten season doing any damage this year and you know, especially in the NFC West division. And, and typically the MVP comes from a playoff team and a team that is, is going to go the distance or, you know, make it pretty far in, into the playoffs. But, uh, you know, he's he's a good young talent. Um, I, I compare him to Sam Darnold sometimes. I think their careers are um, probably on a similar trajectory at this point. Uh, maybe Murray had a little bit of a little bit more success than Darnold did. I'm willing to admit that surprisingly, but um, you know, I, th- I think he, like I said, he's a good young talent, athletic kid, um, pretty mobile, pretty good on the run and, um, definitely has, definitely has the ability to take the league by storm. I just don't think it's this season. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me touch on one thing. Uh, as far as just, I, I kind of looked down their, their last season schedule and, and kind of the outcomes of their games. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting that they, they played Baltimore week two. Uh, it's Kyler Murray's second game in the NFL. I mean, uh, completion percentage was 62.62.5%, but uh, 25 of 40 for 349 and uh, uh, didn't throw a touchdown in that game, but that's some pretty big numbers. And they only lost 23 to 17 to the 14 and two Ravens at that point. Um, and then looking up, they, they played San Francisco twice. They lost 
Uh, first time they played them, they lost 28-25. Uh, Murray went 17 for 24 for 241, uh, two touchdowns, no picks. And then they played them two weeks later, and Murray went 24 for 33, only 150 yards, but two touchdowns against against that offense, or I'm sorry, against that defense, obviously, and, and no picks. So uh, kind of, you know, you start looking into the numbers, definitely impressive in some games that you wouldn't really think that he would be. Uh, and then, I mean, he, he played the Saints and got absolutely demolished um, and then played the Rams, got demolished. But uh, for them to play the Ravens that tough and then to play the 49ers tough, uh, both times really they played them, uh, speaks kind of volumes in my opinion that, that he does at least have a chance to, to maybe bring that team up from, from where they're at now and then, you know, in, in the seasons to come potentially make a playoff run. So that's definitely interesting. Uh, I, I am a Kyler Murray fan. I think uh, I definitely want to see him do well. I, I like the kid. I think he seems like a, a smart guy. So uh, I, I wish him nothing but the best. But just diving into to the breakdown a little bit, a little bit more. So kind of interesting to see that he, he did play some some tough teams and he, he played pretty well. So that, that's a good sign on him. Hey, and ultimately, if uh, Kyler Murray doesn't pan out as an NFL quarterback, he does have that major league career um, to, to bounce back and lean back on. But um, that's sort of that's sort of it for the Kyler Murray talk today. Like, like we said, um, part two sort of in our NFL talk series and probably something we'll continue as well. Um, we'll look to pull different sound bites from various outlets, whether it's ESPN, Undisputed, The Athletic, um, what have you. But I think it's interesting to talk about, especially when sports aren't back yet. And, you know, there's not much to talk about in the live sports front, but um, we're, we're pretty up to snuff in the NFL storyline. So happy to sprinkle in a few like the Jalen Hurts, like the uh, Brady and, and Gronk talk as well. So like I said, we'll probably continue to, to chat about a few more NFL storylines as we progress throughout the summer and wait um, in anticipation for these live sports to come back. But I think that'll do it for, for tonight's show. The listeners, as always, we appreciate you very much. We appreciate your ears very much. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and a slither of other um, podcast platforms, wherever you find your podcast, there's a good chance we are on that platform. So thank you as always for listening. And Aaron, feel free to take us home. Yep. Uh, just the only other thing I was going to touch on is uh, I hope everyone enjoyed, you know, we're now into the work week again, which is extremely unfortunate, but uh, uh, hopefully every everybody enjoyed their Memorial Day weekend. No one uh, set themselves on fire or, or caught a, a firework to the forehead or anything of that nature. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, everybody w- was appreciative and, and everybody stayed safe this Memorial Day as we tried to make it as normal as we could. And obviously sports will, will soon cross your fingers come come back and in a different format but that's uh that's where we're gonna really wrap things up for tonight take us home